Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and today's guest will be Jack Luce from the Aspire Group, Director of Strategy, Analytics, and Marketing, and really excited to have Jack on today to talk about his start into the sports industry a little bit later than some. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of how you transition into the sports industry from having experience in other realms and kind of building those skill sets. And then we'll dive into the analytics world where we'll talk about kind of analytical decision making, how you can potentially learn more about it uh, if you aren't exposed to it currently and kind of where the future of analytics are going. So Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. So let's let's head off on the first piece. Um, you know, how did you get to the Aspire Group? Not too long ago. Now you're in Atlanta and um, you know, what was your path there and, and what advice might you have for others who are doing something different but want to get into the sports industry? Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned uh, in my in that little intro, right? So I don't have the typical um, route. I didn't take the typical route to, to the sports and entertainment world. I, um, I went into consulting after college, uh, spent about six years a little more actually at a, at a small consulting firm in the telecom space. Um, and you know, it wasn't my, my chosen industry wasn't something I was super passionate about, but it was a great group of people. And it also was a really great use of time in terms of, uh, giving me the, the soft and the, the hard skills, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, basic things, Excel, building, building good looking PowerPoints, having time to connect with clients and, and, and create those deliverables. So um, after a bit of time there um, up in Boston, uh, which is also where I went, where I went to school, uh, I determined it was time to start looking into, um, you know, a field I was more passionate about. So, so I turned my eye to sports and entertainment, uh, particularly sports. Um, you know, as an undergrad, I was, I was always on looking at sports analytics, um, you know, very interested in things like the Sloan Analytics Conference, um, being up in Boston. So I started looking for that and, um, you know, luck would have it that the Aspire Group had just launched uh, SAM, which is Strategy Analytics and Marketing, and they were looking to build essentially what's a, an internal consulting branch or internal consulting arm with the Aspire Group. So I applied and I uh, was lucky enough to get that position. So for the past nine months or so, I've been building up that team and, and leading the charge there. You know, it's it sounds simple, right? You applied, you got it, yeah. like away you go, right? And everyone's probably listening going, well, yeah, I did that too, but I didn't get it, you know? Um, so when you think about the process, right, of selling yourself, selling your skill set, selling your story, how did you sell having experience in the consulting with, you know, we were talking earlier, telecom, I mean, like stuff that doesn't necessarily completely translate to sports, but the skills do. So how did you go about telling that story? Yeah. And I realized I, I skipped the, the advice on that first question. So I can touch on that here. You know, I think there's some basic advice that personally, um, you know, I would always adhere to. So always write a cover letter, um, especially if it's a, a leadership position. So um, make it known that you have skin in the game. You took extra time to, to apply to that, that position. Um, and I, I mean, you're right, going outside of what your experience is in, in terms of an industry switch is not the easiest thing. Um, 
So when you're trying to do something like that, and to anyone listening who's trying to, to break their way into, whether it's the sports industry or any other industry that you don't have a lot of experience in, I think it's really key that you highlight specific examples of, um, of those skills, right? So try to ignore the, the industry and, and the eventual output that you are creating, but focus on the process. So make it known that, you know, if you were doing a market sizing um, project in the telecom space, which I had experience in, make it known that that can translate into the sports world by saying, you know, if we're talking to a school or if we're talking to um, an AD or an external, right, you can let them know what the opportunity is of using the Aspire group or of going down a certain path. It's all the same, really, in that you're trying to sell your skills, sell the opportunity, even though the, the eventual consumer side or the fan side is totally separate. So, you know, being confident in your skills, having examples, uh, and in my case, you know, I was building a, a case study, right, for a sample data set. Really spend some time on that. Really showcase and go above and beyond. Um, you know, pull out all the stops if you're making a presentation. Um, so those things will serve you well, I think, if you're, if you're looking to do that switch. Well, and the other piece of it, too, and we were talking about this in the sense that sports and entertainment as great as it is and as much revenue is generated and as much it's in the spotlight, it's also sometimes behind in certain areas compared to other industries, you know, tech and, and some of those types of um, companies that exist out there that are, that are way ahead in the analytics space or they're doing something totally different that, you know, you could have said, hey, I did this project at X company and I actually think it could apply to sports. Let me show you how, right? And you're able to then take something that maybe you know, you're working on from a market sizing or analysis or future casting, whatever it could be, uh, and take that into a sports landscape and see how it co could apply. From a consulting perspective, though, what did you learn, um, you know, from consulting to consulting, right? You're, you're yeah. the internal consulting group. You're still doing that. What are, what are the differences between the sports side and, and the non-sports side? Yeah, so I think what was really most eye-opening to me were the similarities rather than differences. So when you're talking about consulting, oftentimes it gets a bad rap, right? So people think of, um, what was the movie, Up in the Air, flying city to city, telling people who they should fire, right? That wasn't my experience and my background. I was much more on the, we're bringing you in to think, of, think through this idea with us. So is it a good idea to invest in this market? Or um, maybe we should market this product differently, things like that. Um, but regardless, even though there wasn't that friction there in terms of headcount turnover and things like that, there's always going to be some level of friction when you're in the room as a consultant, because essentially what's happening is you're being compensated to come in and help act as part of their company or their athletic department. Um, so when the other members, internal members of the athletic department are there, you know, it's not uncommon to have some minor hurt feelings or ruffled feathers and say, hey, this is my job, I'm the expert. So that was not surprising to me coming into, into the sports realm. Um, what is a little bit more, what's a bigger hurdle in sports than outside of sports, I think, at least in my experience, is, is incentivizing that change, right? So getting people who might have been in their position for quite a bit of time 
um, to think about things differently. And that's really our job, as Bernie would say, who's our, our founder and chairman, right? The, our purpose is to push you to your boundaries, whether, especially when we're talking about things like repricing your venue. You may have not changed your prices for five years, seven years, 10 years. So our job is to come in and say, hey, would it be such a bad idea to maybe look at these again? What is the most valuable seat? Where is the demand really high? Are there some gaps in these heat maps, right? So um, I think that can be a little bit more difficult and you have to kind of work your way up to that and gain trust uh, from your clients and from your partners, uh, even more so in sports. And I think, you know, what we were talking about earlier, it's all about a win-win. Whether you're talking about outsourcing your ticket selling or outsourcing fan research or outsourcing marketing, you need to make it known that you're there to support them, not replace them, right? So you want to take their expertise because they might have been at a, at a school for 15 years. They know it inside and out, and I don't. What I know is the data, and I can help them read that data and understand what that data means. Yeah, bridging the gap from a data perspective is huge in not only what it might take to change, but how, like, what are your KPIs on the back end to measure whether that change worked, right? And not just doing change for change's sake. Um, and then also the messaging piece, right? It's one thing to just go, okay, this is what the data says. This is how we're going to change some things. Well, how does the public perceive it, right? So if you're going to change your prices, so what's the strategic messaging behind it? What's the marketing behind it? And that's kind of where your group comes into play. Um, what are some of the things that, that others can learn from you from a messaging standpoint of how you go about change, right? Because change isn't easy. We're all going through change. Uh, regardless of what time it is, right? So what, what, are, what are some of those pieces of advice you have there? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and that's a, that's a very important point, right? So our job is not to say, okay, these prices go up 5%, these go down 1%, have at it. You know, we're, we're involved much longer throughout that process. And, and one benefit of being kind of soup to nuts and that we're on the ground selling tickets in many of these places where my team is going in and doing these consulting and research projects is that, you know, we don't just disappear. We're not brought in for a workshop and then you call us maybe a month later and we check in, right? So, so we have boots on the ground per se and, and we, can, we can follow up. And, and that's a big part of the thing like a repricing is, okay, we've come to the decision. And, and one really important thing there is that the department comes to the decision, right? The internal stakeholders, we're there to sort of push the boundaries and, and make them uncomfortable, but we don't make the ultimate decision. And after those decisions are made, our job then is to say, okay, how are we gonna message this to someone who maybe is sitting front row and we've just decided that their tickets are going up 25% or 12%, whatever it is, right? So um, our messaging typically is, Focus on the relationship first and foremost. So keep in mind who this person is, how long they've been coming to games, um, and then focus on the positive, right? That's typically in this example that we're talking about now with the, with the repricing. Too often people think only about the costs and not about the benefits, right? If you've updated your venue in the past three years, if you've changed some sort of um, some sort of benefit that season ticket holders have. If they have access to a pregame event or a preseason event with the players and the coach, those are all benefits that have value, right? So why should the costs not reflect those benefits? So those are the sorts of talking points that we would coach our team through. And even if it's a partner 
or a non-partner, excuse me, where we don't have sales consultants there, um, we would talk them through, you know, these are the things to highlight. Obviously there's gonna be friction whenever there's change, but especially now um, with everyone tightening their belt, we have found a lot of focus on efficiency, right? So how do we get the most out of these benefits that we can offer to our fans? You mentioned efficiencies. Obviously, there's the internal efficiencies and the external efficiencies. So from an internal standpoint, efficiency-wise, how do you utilize data within your team, your organization, and, and ultimately, what insights could you provide to maybe someone who's listening that goes, oh, maybe we could apply that to what we do? Because it's not, unless you have someone who can not only provide the data perspective and make that bridge from data to actionable insights, it's really hard and it's a lot of effort and energy and work to try and figure out what that is. And by that point, your maybe your efficiencies are gone, right? Right, exactly. So there's a couple of tenets that we like to live by, especially in the analytics department at Aspires. So one is um, garbage in, garbage out, right? So you find a lot of times that folks are trying to boil the ocean um, that's a common phrase, right? So just collect as much data as you can and chances are there's something useful in there. And that's probably true. But the problem is if you're working on a lean budget, if you don't have the headcount to boil that ocean, you're probably going to miss things, right? So instead of having this shotgun approach where it's so broad, really focus in on things that drive change. So constantly be reading, constantly be researching what other in the college space, what other schools are doing, what's resonated with fans. Um, you know, we have data from all these different surveys that we've done over the past decade, right? And we're trying to use those to say, okay, what are, what are the trends? What do people care about the most? And how do we impact those two or three different values, those two or three different things about the game day experience, right? Um, and then internally on the sales side, you know, we're all about analyzing how we're selling tickets, right? Down to how long are you talking on the phone? How many relationships have you built? How many referrals, right? So we call it the root, which is the work that our sales consultants put in every single day, and then the fruit, so what they bear, right? And, you know, the data, data is the truth, right? And we found that root equals fruit. So, you know, it's, it's about what some would call hustle stats and measuring those and, and being cognizant of, okay, let's hold a mirror up to ourselves. Are we really hitting numbers that we think are feasible? And if not, how do we massage that? And how do we impact that? Yeah, sales goals are always, they're always finicky, right? Like you can set it, but what's your strategy to get there? And is it even realistic, right? And then do you have uh, the ability to motivate, you know, it's hard to motivate when something seems so far away versus a realistic goal that maybe has a different strategic approach. When you think about the analytics piece, though, that you just mentioned kind of how you're utilizing it internally, mm -hmm. for those who are in roles that aren't exposed to analytics, maybe they're, you know, running events, right? Maybe they're on community relations or certain places where it's not the first thing you're thinking about is the data side of things. How can you go about learning more of that and just understanding how it connects the dots from department to, de to department within an organization? Yeah, I think it's sort of a, a daunting task. <laughs> so you'll see a lot of 
um, solutions out there and a lot of folks who you know might ignore the analysis side just because they think there's no way that I can get all these different data points from all X thousand fans that have come or everyone who's viewed this piece of marketing collateral that we that I made and put on the website right so I think the first thing to think about is that your job first and foremost is to be effective at whatever position you're in right so if you're on the marketing team it's to relay the message of your athletic department or your specific athletic team to your fans and to ultimately gain new fans right and retain your existing so the first thing I'd say is you don't need every piece of data. It's like the boil the ocean thing, right? You, you want effective data and you want to understand trends. So if that means um, you're a marketing person and you want to hold a focus group, um, something pretty casual, and you want to maybe just talk to a few people, that's fine. That's data. Those are data points that are, that are valuable. Um, if it means you're a sales consultant and you want to check in on someone that you sold a, a season ticket to at a game and go sit by them for two minutes during a basketball game to just ask them how they're doing, that's all data. Um, you know, qualitative data is valuable, um, probably even more so than quantitative. So yes, there are trends that, you know, the nerdy people like me want to try to uncover in, in these, you know, oceans again of data, but the qualitative pieces are probably what's going to speak to individuals internally at these athletic departments more so than trying to get in the weeds of, of all these different numbers and trends. And, and ultimately you need both and you need them to, to coexist, but on a daily basis, just having those conversations, building those relationships and making note of those, those qualitative data pieces are going to really move things a long way. Yeah, I know data only has four letters in it, but I think it can be scary for a lot of people, right? When they just think about it or they think about analytics, they think about, you know, what they see out there from whether it's coding or, you know, all these different, right? Like you said, the big data, the spreadsheets, all, but the qualitative piece is a great point in that like, qualitative data has been captured forever, right? It's just never been really seen as data per se. It's been seen as something just as normal everyone does, but how can you go about capturing that qualitative data well? And because to your point, there, there are certain things that numbers just really aren't applicable, right? How right. do you measure community impact or how do you measure, like, how do you measure something is the, is like the greatest question to a lot of different people because in a lot of different areas you go, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think one difficulty people face with this is if you don't, like you mentioned, if it's a scary thing to some folks, right? So if you don't try to collect that data, it's not like those opinions don't exist. Those fans could still be coming to your venue and thinking, man, I really wish um, the lines weren't so long for concessions. The only difference is that you don't know that, right? So you're only hurting yourself and, and your department by not asking those questions. I think, you know, on a technical side, there's a lot of interesting things going on where you know people are trying to turn qualitative data into quantitative data points. So sentiment scoring, doing things like that within surveys, right? So those tools exist today and they're only gonna get better and they're gonna make this a much more automated process. But until those are widely available and even more importantly, especially now, available cheaply, which is not the case at all, Currently, it's, you know, it's an expensive data science solution. Um, I think the, the, 
real key is to keep talking, keep having these conversations. And the other thing to think about is there's implicit bias when you're asking your own fans their opinions, right? So I'm sure anyone listening who's tried to survey their own employees knows this. Those scores tend to skew pretty high because they know that ultimately, even if it's anonymous, it's it's being viewed by their boss at some point. So um, having a third party or a neutral party, just this goes back to the consulting piece, right? Having them manage it, especially if it's something like a focus group, um, enables you to get more honest feedback that's not as skewed and not as biased. And ultimately, it's going to help everybody because it's going to get to those little nuggets and those kernels of truth that are in there um, that really drive, okay, maybe we should allocate more resources towards X, Y, or Z, right, in the next year. Yeah, good data is so important, right? You can have all the data you want, but if it's biased or, you know, if it's extensive in areas that you just don't need it or you know, you only, you only were able to survey one subset of a group and, you know, you're not seeing the whole picture. It can actually skew your decisions, right? And so you do need to get away from the, well, we got to make everything or every decision based on data. Well, not necessarily, right? If you have really good data and really good processes to set up that data for good decision making, then yes, right? But getting that process is definitely not an easy thing Uh, to get established and create a strategy around it. So let's talk about the strategy piece. How do you take data, whether quantitative or qualitative or combination of both and and ultimately create a strategy? Because strategy is one of those words that's widely used. It's it's a very big buzzword, Um, you know, strategy this, strategy that, you gotta have strategic decision-making, strategic thinking. It's great, right? But there's, there's gotta be something behind it. Yeah, for sure. I think, so again, sort of technically speaking, (laughs) you want to be sure that your data is statistically sound, um, which means you want to look at who you're surveying. You want to look at the counts, um, you know, how many people are answering. Um, That's a big reason why we often want to survey non-attendees. So if you're talking about how much people enjoyed, um, you know, a basketball game, it's valuable to know why the people who didn't come chose not to. So was it because of the schedule? Was it because of the price? Was it because of some other thing? Those are all valid data points. Um, So that's sort of a sidebar, but on just the, you know, internally how we go about making strategy out of this sort of cloud of numbers and opinions that are written down into these Excel cells, right? You want to, focus number one on benchmarks. So you wanna think about, okay, we have the luxury of having done, you know, 75, I think, surveys in the past year for all these different properties, right? So we have a good idea of, you know, a power five school football program, what are typical uh, pain points, right? So right off the bat, we know people are gonna complain about the variety and the price of concessions. So when we see something like that in the survey results, it doesn't really raise a red flag immediately. Sure, it's something that you want to improve, but that might not be where your strategy leads you immediately because my team has found another area where schools tend to do pretty well um, that you're not doing well in. And what's even more helpful is when we've done research over several years and we see a category slipping significantly over the past two year period. 
if it's about parking at your venue um, and you see that maybe your team's gotten a lot better and people have started coming more, but the, you know, the downside of that is maybe there's more issues with parking and we're seeing that in the data. So that's something where you might get clouded because you're thinking, okay, we're, we're on a winning streak. We've been great for two years. Let's focus on, you know, game day presentation and you're ignoring something that might not be quite as obvious to be a downside of that. Right. So that's, I think how we typically go about it. We look at trends in your own data and we also look at trends versus essentially proxy uh, properties where we can say, you know, this typically isn't an issue. Something unique is going on at your property. Let's try to fix that. And from a data standpoint, you know, you mentioned tickets, you mentioned surveys to kind of understand different aspects of an event or whatever it might be. You know, we can talk about fundraising, you can talk about sponsorships, data can be used in a lot of different areas. Where do you see the future of data going, you know, in the next year to two years as uh, things continue to grow, change, shift, um, not only in, you know, the spaces that you're in, but just advances in data as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of, there's big questions about big data, right? So um, like you mentioned that it's pretty buzzwordy and you see that a lot, but really what needs to be understood is what's the value today of the services and is it attainable? So one unique thing about college athletics that has become abundantly clear, right? Is there's not the budgets here that you see at, you know, fortunate right so that makes some big data solutions that might be great and might be super powerful unattainable for the time being so it's not useful to really waste time thinking about those i think in the in the college athletic space and and also in athletics in general where i see data going in the next year or two is a true cohesion in quantitative and qualitative so right now what we have is you know, we can correlate things, we can regress things all day, and then look at opinions, right? And we can also attach sentiments to different, different open-ended text responses, but they're not truly combined. And where I see that moving, ideally, in the next couple of years is understanding someone holistically, what is their quantitative opinion, and then what's their qualitative opinion. So, there's a lot of research out there that indicates, you know, answering these one to 10 or Likert one to seven scales, it's not super helpful uh, compared to asking people's opinions or getting their opinion during a focus group. So the easier it is to automate that process and get that down on paper and actually do some math with it, the further we're gonna get in terms of what we can do with data. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is just, we're sort of in the infancy of big data because we're still trying to figure out how to clean up data and get what many people call the golden record, right? So do you know that Jack Luce, who's buying season tickets to basketball, is the same Jack L who donated $500 to the athletic fund or is the same as the no-name person but with my cell phone number who bought tickets to a movie in that market? So, you know, there's... There's this idea that we have all this data and we need to do stuff with it. But before we can really understand that, we need to make sure we're treating each individual as an individual and not each data point as an individual person, if that makes sense. So that's a really crucial step uh, that needs to be figured out.
Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm in the world a little bit. Uh, and I think for our listeners, it's, it's truly trying to separate. Um, you know, I think the best example would be if you're McDonald's and you have a bunch of different customers, right? And one person came in on a Monday and they used their name, right? And then, and then and on Wednesday, they came in and they used their phone number. And on Friday, they used their address, right? For, for, right. for you know, sake of, of conversation purposes, right? But all those three customers are then either different, but they're also the same. Uh, and so trying to figure out, you know, what that one customer is coming in now three days a week, as opposed to three people coming in one day of, a week, that's a huge difference in perspective on the data um, and just applying that to, to everything. So uh, last thing, as we kind of wrap up the episode, you know, when you look back to your transition thus far of, you know, uh, working in the sports industry, coming from a different industry, and those who are actually transitioning, try and, try and imagine this for yourself, those who are transitioning from actually sports to a different industry, what advice would you have for them in terms of taking the things now that you know about sports as opposed to into the other industries? Absolutely. I think, you know, one real benefit to this industry in sports is, is really the culture. Um, I think trying to, to take that culture with you and, you know, distribute it at your new uh, company or in that new industry is going to serve you in good stead, right? I think um, the other thing to, to take and maybe even shift is be open to proposing really big ideas. Um, you know, I think like we mentioned at the top of this, right, there's, there's a tendency to get stuck a little bit um, in sports because the outcome and the output so the consumer facing product is so popular in that, you know, we all are in this industry because yes, we like um, the business side, but we also are really passionate about, about sports. Um, but you don't always have that in other industries. So um, taking that enthusiasm and thinking big about, you know, maybe modifying something or maybe making something more efficient through um, some out of the box thinking that is more likely to be accepted uh, in some other industries. So uh, if you've been sort of constrained during your time in the sports world, I'd say let that out and, and really try to, you know, let your light shine when it comes to those big ideas. That's awesome. Think big and uh, hopefully good things come, right? So. Jack Luce, really appreciate your time and advice and insights on not only the data side, the strategy, and, and just the whole world of uh, which we live in and, and, and making uh, that transition from uh, other industries into the sports industry. Really interested to see uh, how things progress and, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again in the future. Um, thank you again for your time. Thanks so much, Jake. This was fun.